and it's how you show up for people. And so when you have, you can have a really wonderful strategic plan, but you always have to say, how are we going to show up for individuals in every place in this plan? How do we do that? And so in order to keep that strategic mindset, I mean, it has to be that you have to keep in mind that the goal of all of our jobs, even though we say shareholder value and customer value and that kind of thing, the object, I mean, the objective or the foundation for all of that is alleviating suffering. So how are we doing that? Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Okay, so I rarely read directly from a guest bio, but this paragraph in today's guest bio jumped out at me. So I'm going to quote direct here. Before ending her 24-year management career as a C-level executive and beginning her career speaking, consulting, and training, Pam Pam Boyd was a well-seasoned, backstabbing, corporate-hating, finger-pointing, excuse-making, and pathologically negative middle manager. After a proactive boss changed her trajectory, she vowed to help alleviate the suffering that comes from working in high-drama environments. Okay, so wow. (laughs) Welcome to Good Morning HR, Pam. Thank you. And tell me the rest of that story. that's like a, either a super villain or a superhero's origin story. Yeah, so, uh, tell, give me more detail there. Tell me what that was like. Well, um, I was working for a company for about seven years and was continually passed over for promotions, even though I had the stats. And I always looked at, you know, the score sheet by sales and all the other things that they told us to measure. And every year they had a manager of the year award and every year they promoted to district manager and I thought I'm I'm up there and one year I was number one with all the metrics so and they were giving a brand new Mercedes to or brand new cars at that time it wasn't Mercedes I think yeah brand new Mercedes to every to every manager they had like five that got awards and I thought I'm gonna shoe in and it wasn't me. I'd even picked out the color of my car I wanted, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't me. And turned out the guy who got one of the cars was this guy who was new to the company. I'd been there seven years and I had I thought I had all the um, expertise and all the tenure that was expected. And this guy had been there one lousy year. He walks away with my car and then turns out he becomes my boss later. And what happened is right before that, before he became my boss, I had a guy that was my boss who was a driver, kind of, sort of, but he wasn't very personal with his uh, general managers. And so I thought he's going to apologize to me for me not getting that award because, wow, I mean, look what I did for him in his territory. So, of course, he never apologized, and I had to bring it up, and that was kind of embarrassing for me. But I said, so, Jeff, what's the big deal? I mean, why why didn't you go to bat for me? And he turned red in the face and started, um, you know, <clears throat> clearing his throat. And and I said, what? What are you not telling me? And he said, well, Pam, um, this is really hard to say, but in the company, 
um, you're known as the B word. And I said, I am not the B word. That's my mother. And, and I started to, <laughs> and, and he said, you know, I said, I, 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 there's no, I just started making all the, you know, the, the case for why I was not the B word. And basically he said, you know what, Pam, what you're doing right now, that's why you didn't get the car. I said, because I'm standing up for myself. And he says, no, because you don't listen. And, and then he said, um, and I was so mad. I, he said, you know, if it's just hard to deal with you and, you know, this is how people see you in the company as someone who's difficult. And I walked off from that conversation and didn't change a thing except start putting out my resume. And I was so mad and so hurt. And then shortly after that, this guy that got my car got promoted and he walks in as my new boss and he goes, Hey Pam, let's talk about you being on the team. And I thought I'd died and gone to hell, you know, <laughs> that now I have to report to this guy. And, and then when he, but so he, we sat down and I was rolling my eyes and he started talking to me about how he goes, you know, I looked at your stats and you should be getting more recognition. I went, yeah, that's true. This guy, he's getting me. And he said, but uh, are you willing to to do what you need to do to get it? And I said, yeah, but I'm not the B word. I don't care what Jeff told you. I'm not the B word. And, and this is where my life began to change. He said, it doesn't matter that you think you're not the B word. What matters is perception is reality. And if you'll stay with me, we'll change that perception. And um, and so he turned out to be a guy who was a developer, a guy who saw me. I mean, he wasn't easy to work with. He wasn't a guy that was patting me on the back. He was throwing me under the bus to so that I would learn to stand on my own two feet. And um, it turned out he told me that when I started working for him, that within the year I would be manager of the year. And I thought, yeah, right. How could he promise that? But it really did happen. And I was a regional manager within a year and a half. So I always vowed that after he taught me some things about how to hold people accountable, because the thing is, nobody wants to talk to the B word because they argue. They don't listen. They don't change. You waste your time. And so when I learned how to talk, I mean, he got me to listen. And it's a longer story than that. And I usually start out my talks with that story. But this is not that kind of story. I'll, I'll make reference to it. But he got me to listen because he knew what I wanted. And he immediately started talking about how to use that leverage and um, to get me what I wanted and so that he could get what he wanted. And so I always vowed that when I had the opportunity, I'd help alleviate the suffering that comes from working with people who don't develop people or working with people like me because they're in every organization. So that's the rest of the story. Sure. Well, and then, and I want to say one thing is, uh, the the you you've kind of embraced and admitted the fact that you were the B word, and we're all adults here. We can say the real words, but and I think and a lot of my friends uh, and you know I've been in HR almost thirty years, and I own my business for twenty, and I've got a ton of business owner friends, all that. Um, a lot of them would take exception to a manager calling or you know, even using that term towards a, a female, uh, particularly a subordinate or even you know, yes. a female leader. But, um, but we, it's, it's weird to call a female an asshole. And so I think that's part of it. I think, I think 
you were at least mature enough at, at some point in there to say, that's not probably the best language, but I get what they're saying. And it's not gender based. I mean, it's not, right. I think you're, not, you're, you're saying that this isn't because I was a female who happened to be assertive and direct and, and right. all the things that we would want from a male executive. You're saying that your, your behavior, you were kind of an a-hole when it came to right. working with you. And it just seems weird. It's, it's a contextual thing to call a female an a-hole. You know? Yeah, and that's so, right. So you get that. Okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, and and um, yep. if anything gets me canceled on this on this, on this this podcast, it's going to be this conversation right here. So <laughs> I'll blame you if, okay. if, there's a, if there's a group of, of people in my front yard. Uh, well, yeah, uh, and let me clarify that for, you know, being a woman in business and it was a male oriented business, but they really treated, I, I could play that card. But I realized after Don Dungy started, my the good boss started teaching me that it wasn't anything about me being a female that it was really about me being negative and bitter and resentful. And so that was just the fastest way for them to explain how I was perceived. And when, when people say, well, the, you, I wouldn't put up with that. And I thought, well, I was that though. And I thought it was other people, but it was me. I was all those things that I blame, you know, my mother for being. And because I hadn't learned how to ask for what I wanted, how to set boundaries, and how to make sure that I was on the track that I needed to be on. Because nobody had said, had really told me what was holding me back. All those years, nobody told me directly what was holding me back because they were afraid I'd just argue with them. And that feedback is so rare and it's so valuable. I know in my career early, when I was in my mid to late 20s, I had an HR VP I reported to who basically had to pull me aside and say something very similar. And really? to this day... I still count her among my, my greatest one of my as one of my top two or three greatest mentors because of the time she saw potential. And but at the same time, she saw how I was defeating myself with, you know, and I had the arrogance of youth on, on my side and, uh, yeah. you know, and and all of those things. And she really helped me realize that, you know being being a jerk wasn't necessarily going to get me really where I ultimately wanted yeah. to go. So, okay. <laughs> so I think we're all, you, you were lucky to have that person, I think. And I think we're all, uh, if we've had somebody like that and we've listened to them and responded appropriately, it's been a benefit. But anyway, at Fort Worth HR's September 17th Strategic Mindset Conference, you're not talking about being a B word. You're talking about the strategic mindset and you're talking about how to get and keep that kind of strategic mindset in whether you're an HR or whether you're just a business leader. So right. talk to me about what it means in, in, in your worldview to have a strategic mindset. Um, I think what that's about is having um, bringing all your passion and bringing your whole self to a place where you can influence the organization at the maximum level of your gifts. And so where you can ratchet up, the positive impact you're having on an organization. That's where you develop the strategy, the strategy, you know, the goals that, I mean, we got in the HR world, it's all about all the activities, hiring and training and all that stuff and onboarding and retention and, you know, the whole big thing, all the transactional, all the stuff transactional stuff, right, but right. it becomes boxes you check. 
If you don't right. keep a strategic mindset and the strategy has to be based in your compassion and in your passion for, because a lot of people drift into HR because maybe there is an opening and nobody else wanted to do the job. But some of us go into it because we really care about people, but then you get there and it's really becomes about just the impersonal thing and not about the end product, about what, how, how people are suffering. And whenever you have a great strategy, it's about alleviating suffering. And so you got to ask yourself, where is the suffering and where do I impact that suffering? And so that's why I go straight for that. I mean, I have this HR strategy prayer that says, uh, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the, the, um, and give me the strategy to change the things I can and the wisdom to see through the BS. So, oh, that's good. Because here, that the thing is, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, go. No, the thing is, you're saying go. Well, the wisdom to see through the BS is because we, what happens yeah. is we lose the difference. We have this, we have the strategy here and the objectives over here. And then we have reality here and we don't face the gap. So, so much so that it, the HR becomes depersonalized. I asked someone today who works for a major organization in Dallas. I said, give me the first word that comes to your mind when you hear HR. And she said, bullshit. And I said, so why did you say bullshit? Well, because there's, they're, they're checking boxes and they're, make, they're doing everything that has to be done. But you don't see how it's personalized to you. And so they become irrelevant or they become someone to avoid. And it can easily, HR, the transactional HR can easily be outsourced. And, uh, and a lot of folks are not realizing that yes. until it's too, too late. Yeah. Um, the, um, when we're so much of HR, like you said, are people who many of, you know, and, and I know some great HR folks who started this way, but, they never intended to be in HR. That's right. They were in an admin, administrative role or they were part of uh, the CFO's team or in finance or someplace or like operations. that. operations. We need somebody to, to yeah, and they need, we need somebody to manage uh, benefits and just make sure those get done. Oh, and, and, and manage payroll and just little things yes. like that. And next thing you know, this person's piled up and, and somebody like realizes, oh, we need an HR director. Let's give it to, to Joe. He's been doing that for, you know, he's been doing all those, those transactional things. And Joe wants to make an impact on the organization, but all they, all they're asking him to do is, is transactional HR. And, uh, and I think that's uh, a danger for Joe long-term career-wise, if he doesn't make a change. So if I'm in that position, let's say I'm, I'm in that HR role and I really care about the company and I care about the people, but, you know, well, uh, you know, and, I want to make a difference, but I'm seen as this transactional person. What would you say to that person? How do you, how do I change uh, my role in the organization? What what steps do I take? And it sounds like what you would say is it starts with me. So what's the first thing I should do internally in my head between my ears to to make a change? That's a great question, Mike. And I think the first question always for any job is: Am I bringing my whole self to the job? How can I bring my whole self to the job? And that's when we get boring, we get bored. And I mean, some you might be thinking about, you know, big things and then you feel like your job is so mundane. You might be thinking, oh, I'm going to make this diff this change and then you can't. And then you're just thinking about getting to the bar. And, and unless 
you go into work anticipating the, your ability to make a difference wherever you are from the lowest seat in the organization. You're di- and, and unless you anticipate that with some self-care before you go to work, that's the first step is to anticipate that you're going to get stuff thrown at you where you don't have time to think about anything except survival. And especially in the days of COVID and, you know, hacking and all the stuff that we're up against and short staff shortage and all that. It's just so in any organization, you get tempted to just get through the day instead of taking what you've got and having a plan. You got to have some kind of self-care plan. So when you walk across the threshold, you're plugging in yourself, plugging into being able to see where um, the gaps are, where the pain is, what you can do. Because even if we're in a mundane role, there might be something we can do. And that's, you know, even in Drive, the book Drive, he talks about how people have to make their own, they have to challenge themselves. The people that can challenge themselves to make a difference, um, those are the people who stay engaged. So, and and then you have to, you know, it's really, for me, it was having the answer prayer and the luck of having someone come into my life that says, you know, you, you're thinking, you've got potential. And in, in a lot of organizations, you're so dependent on that one person being able to see you and see who you really are. And so taking self-care and then putting yourself in a position where you can make a difference with anybody, I mean, in any little thing, but also being on the lookout and for someone who sees people. They're rare in organization. And once you find that person, then you can, you know, explode your potential. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHARM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select Episode 8 and enter the keyword BOYD. That's B-O-Y-D. On Thursday, September 30th, I'll be hosting a free webinar entitled Beyond Values, Building an Ethical Business Environment. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of business recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And did I mention that it's free? And if you're listening to this program after September 30th, you can still watch the recording of that webinar, as well as our previous webinars on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Pam Boyd. When I'm talking to professionals who are thinking about making a career change or maybe soon to be college graduates who are trying to figure out what they want to do, and somebody connects them to me and they say, yeah, I think I want to go into HR. Well, why do you want to go in HR? Well, I love people. And my answer is always, HR will make you hate That's people. Right. Do not do this just because you love love people. I know. Now, if you want to, you know, if you're excited about helping a business grow, just like this podcast, helping, you know, businesses achieve, you know, bring value to the shareholders and the community through people, then, then we could talk. But if, if you just want to be everybody's friend and you want to have days where everybody just loves on each other, 
you're in the wrong business. This is not, you know, this is all HR is all about business. So, but you're, you're talking about really a, a personal rather, because when we talk about strategy, we're always thinking about corporate planning and, you know, um, you know, we go on a strategic retreat, we make all these corporate plans and then we horribly execute them usually uh, in many organizations and we never get there. How does that personal strategic mindset connect to the business's overall strategy and how it, how well it executes. And that's what I'll talk about at the conference, but um, awareness of the gap and accountability, personal accountability and how to hold people accountable for the strategy. You know, even if you're in HR, there are ways that you can be um, a part of accountability for like, for instance, you say you put out one of your strategic goals is to change retention, change and get your retention level up. And, um, and so what you have to, do you you know, Rick Horwath, Horwath, or he talks about HR strategy, Rick Horwath, he writes a lot of books about strategy, but also about HR strategy. And I love one thing he said about that, where strategy goes wrong, um, strategic things go wrong with HR is that there's an unwillingness to challenge. Um, there's an unwillingness to challenge the lack of originality, a lack of accountability. Um, I, I don't have his quote handy here, of what, but I do have it in my presentation, is that objectivity is lacking. We can't get the objectivity to look past um, you know, we, it's glittery. And when we have, we set our strategic goals then we have to bring, it's on a personal, if it's, if you can't bring it down to personal level, it, it will not last. It will not last. And so, and you know, like the quote, I think in Harvard, Harvard Business Review, it said that uh, strategy, um, let's see, culture, each strategy for lunch or breakfast. That's right. Yeah. And you remember that yeah. quote. And the thing is, is that I think Jim Collins said that. Yeah. Originally was that Jim Collins? I just remember reading it in Harvard. Business. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I may be wrong. So a friend of mine too, who's just my HR role model, who really had a big effect on the organization. What she said is that it's like that saying that says death by a thousand cuts. HR has to be, has to be culture by a thousand kindnesses. And, and so when you, oh wow, and, and it's how you show up for people. And so when you have, you can have a really wonderful strategic plan, but you always have to say, how are we going to show up for individuals in every place in this plan? How do we do that? And so in order to keep that strategic mindset, I mean, it has to be that you have to keep in mind that the goal of all of our jobs even though we say shareholder value and customer value and that kind of thing, the object, I mean, the objective or the foundation for all of that is alleviating suffering. So how are we doing that when we're working on interviewing or we're working on, you know, what our interviewing strategy is or what our retention strategy is or what our, you know, secession strategy is? How are we looking and personalizing this HR strategy for these people? And the only people, only only part of a business that's going to actually execute the corporate strategy are the people. The front line. I mean, your inventory people. is not going to execute. Your inventory is not going to that's execute. Right. Your machinery is not going to execute. It's it's people, and they and I, you know, and if you can sell them on where the company's going, and convince them that what they do is meaningful and it's going to have an impact yes. beyond just their paycheck. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's 
a place where a lot of leaders fail in organizations. And, and I think even middle managers, I hate the term manager. I, I, the key should, the goal should never be to manage, manage people because I don't think you can manage people. People are, That's right. we're not commodities where we bring our whole lives to work. We've got our, our sick kids. We've got our ailing yeah. parents. We've got a mortgage payment to make. Every, every one of us brings a whole bunch of variety and we're all a hot mess inside, or at least yeah. mo- the ones, the mo- those of us who are self-aware enough to admit it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and we all, but they walk in the door every day and we're supposed to manage those to get a certain output. And that's why I think we, we, if we can get middle managers to talk more about, think more about being leaders and how do I help this person who's got their unique circumstances their unique behaviors, their unique biases, their unique background, execute where the company needs to go at the same time that I'm not helping that person achieve the best that they can be. And that may be, you know, a trajectory outside of the organization. And if it is, you know, while they're here, let's, let's right. do all we can for them and get the most, most for the organization for them and then help them to the next place. Um, but I think that's a lot of leaders don't aren't comfortable with with that approach. Yeah, that's a really so good point. That's a, that's really interesting. The um, um, Amy yeah. Edmondson, do you know her? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, was she Harvard Business School too? I think. But anyway, she has a, a chart about being in the high performance learning zone and what the four quadrants of how to stay in that. And I think with any strategy that works and any strategic mindset has to be asking, how are we keeping people in the learning zone? Because you know how it is. You set the strategy and at the end of the year, maybe you did one fourth of that strategy or maybe people forgot about the strategy. And especially in days like this, where we've got high interdependence and high insecurity of what where things are going to be. And that's what Amy Edmondson said, is that you don't need to worry about these quadrants of the high learning zone unless you're in that kind of environment. And frankly, I don't know anybody that's not in that kind of environment right now dealing with what they're dealing with. And so what, I, what I'm going to do at the conference is kind of put up that chart and talk about how specifically HR affects and how in my own past, and I might mention my good boss in that, but how we have to be aware of who in the organization is moving people into that high learning zone and who isn't because I'm t- they're suffering for people who aren't in it. Right. What, what, if I've got a manager in my group, who's not bringing people up, who's not putting them in that, that place where they're going to grow and expand, what kind of interventions do you think are effective? If I'm an HR and I see somebody in an operations role, who's high potential, but they just can't bring their people along. What kind of interventions do you think are helpful there? That's a wonderful question. And really, I'm glad you asked that because I need to put that in my talk. When I was a chief operating officer for Sonny Brian's Barbecue, I had um, I, the guy who owned Sonny Brian's Barbecue, and Sonny Brian's died. And then the guy who bought it was from the hotel industry. He had no restaurant experience it's because I had background in that I, I was doing there. Uh, training. And then I ended up being the chief operating officer of the company because I had experience with, with restaurants. Well, anyway, and so I had to go out and hire some, it had so, he had so little expertise and set up a foundation for how to hold people accountable. So I had to go out and hire some regional managers. So I got this one regional manager guy. No, I think he had hired him before I got there. The guy was a good old boy. 
And so he'd go into the restaurants and prop his feet up on the table and talk football and then give him, you know, a slap on the hand for things that weren't the numbers that weren't right. And so, and I had to change that. So, but instead of micromanaging him, I just gave him a list of three things. I said, you know, when we're going to, we're going to meet and go over your week every week. And when we meet, I'm going to ask you just three questions about every manager you're working with. What do they want? What do they do well? And what are you doing to help them reach their goals? And so he wrote down those questions and that was our agenda when we reviewed. And the thing was, is I didn't have to tell him, quit talking football and get down to business and be see people. I didn't have to say that because he, in order to answer those questions, he had to really do that. What do they want? You know, most of the time we don't know, we don't find out what people want. So when you manage a person that's coming from like, I mean, a senior vice president at a big oil company after I'd gone out in the field and supervise and done a supervision conference for all their foremen and superintendents, some of them who never worked with people and except by, you know, the seat of their pants, they had no idea what management was. I came back and we were debriefing and I said to the, um, they asked me, said, so did you get, did you whip everybody in shape? And I said, so I had to tell them, I said, well, you know, it all starts at the top. And frankly, they don't like you guys here. And I said, I said to the guy, I said, they need, you need to, I think it's real important for us as the leader of the organization to know what people want, what they do well, and what we can do to help them reach their goals. And they don't feel like that's really on the agenda. And the senior vice president stood up with anger and said, I don't need to know what they want. They need to know what I want. Well, the organization got yeah, rid of him. That's old school right there. Yeah, it's real old school. But the thing is, is that you can't start anywhere else. You have to start knowing, just like we have to start knowing what our customers want and what our shareholders want. We got to know, you got to start there. And the only way to get people to see, to get there faster is by showing them that that is the path to getting what they want. You know, nobody cares about what we want until we care about what they want at home in the neighborhood, at work, it's everywhere. Does that answer the question? Did I go off on too much of a tangent? Yeah, yeah, it's a good start. No, that's a good start. And Jim, you know, I think it's Jim Collins talks about the right person in the right seat. And sometimes you have to escort the wrong people off the bus, uh, you know, if, if they're not on board with where the organization is going. And sometimes that's scary yeah. for an organization that's got a high producing salesperson and who's just toxic to everybody else. And sometimes you've got to escort that person off and and uh, let them go find someplace else that they can, you know, they can maybe th- you know, thrive better. Set them free that's for all the future. time we have today. Oh, shit. Yeah. Thank you, Pam, for being with us. That's a, uh, I'm really looking forward to, you're the, the lunch speaker, I think, at Fort Worth HR's uh, September 17th Strategic Mindset. And I'm, I'm looking forward, I'm speaking that morning. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking, looking forward, forward to, to that. And uh, so you can register for Fort Worth HR's Strategic Mindset Conference uh, at fwhr.org. And you can find previous episodes of this podcast, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Katie Bautista, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. 
And I'll see you next week. Until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.